Chapter Ten of From Jest to Earnest by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Ten. Human Nature. The dismal tidings from the lower regions that the larder had been stripped and that scarcely even a pie remained soon became an open secret about which every one was whispering and commenting. The supperless wore a defrauded and injured air. The eyes of many who had not left so important a duty to the uncertainties of the future, but, like Auntie Lammer, had availed themselves of the first opportunity, now twinkled shrewdly and complacently. They had the comfortable consciousness of taking care of themselves, but the greater number were honestly indignant and ashamed that such a thing could have happened. This feeling of mortification was increased when the committee reported but a small sum of money handed in as yet. The majority were provoked at others, and a few at themselves, for having brought so little. As the situation became clearer, all began to act characteristically, some preparing to slink away and escape a disagreeable state of things, and others putting their heads together in the wish to remedy matters. Some giggled, and others looked solemn. Some tried to appear resigned, as if it were a dispensation of providence, and others snarled about, them mean Joneses and Rams. Lottie hastily summoned her party together and told them of the dire emergency, as Mrs. Gubling had stated it. Now, said she, if you gentlemen have got any wit worth the name, you must hit on some way of helping the parson out of his scrape, for I have taken a great interest in him or rather his wife. She is the queerest little woman I ever saw. I shouldn't wonder if she were an angel in disguise. As you are undisguised, whispered de Forest. Oh, be still, Julian. That compliment is as delicate as Auntie Lammer's appetite. But see, some of these mean locusts of Egypt, after eating their minister out of house and home, are preparing to go. We must get a collection before a soul leaves the house. "'Julian, you lock the back door, and Mr. Hemstead, you stand by the front door. "'And now, Mr. Harcourt, you are a lawyer and know how to talk sharply to people. "'You give these cormorants to understand what we expect them to do before they leave.' "'Hemstead obeyed with alacrity, for the effort to help the overburdened pastor of Scrub Oaks "'meet the rigors of winter seemed about to end in disastrous failure. He had noted with satisfaction that many of the people shared his regret and wished to do something, but through lack of leadership the gathering was about to break up, each one blaming someone else, and all secretly mortified at the result. Harcourt thought a moment, and then, stepping to a position where he could be seen through open doors and heard from the upper story, clapped his hands loudly to secure silence and draw attention to himself. "'Do you know where your pastor has gone?' he asked. "'He is out now, buying provisions with his own money "'to feed a crowd who came here under the false pretense of giving a donation, "'but in truth seemingly to eat him out of house and home.' Flushes of shame and anger flashed into nearly every face at these stinging words, but Harcourt continued remorselessly. "'You know who I am, and I thought I knew something about you.' I had heard that the people back in the country were large-handed, large-hearted, and liberal, but we must be mistaken. I think this the quintessence of meanness, and if you break up to-night without a big collection, I will punish you throughout the land. I want you to understand that your minister has nothing to do with what I say. I speak on my own responsibility. 
capital, whispered Lottie. That was red-hot shot, and they deserved it. If that don't drain their pockets, nothing will. But she was not a little surprised and disgusted when a stalwart young farmer stepped out and with a face aflame with anger said in harsh emphasis, I was sorry and ashamed to have this affair end as it promised to and was going to come down handsomely myself and try to get some others to. But since that sprig of the law has tried to bully and whip us into doing something, I won't give one cent. I want you to understand, Tom Harcourt, that whatever may be true of the people back in the country, you, nor no other man, can drive us with a horsewhip. The young man's words seemed to meet with general approval, and there were many confirmatory nods and responses. They were eager to find someone to blame, and upon whom they could vent their vexation, and this aristocratic young lawyer, whose words had cut like knives, was like a spark in powder. Many could go away and half persuade themselves that if it had not been for him, they might have done something handsome. And even the best disposed present were indignant. It seemed that the party would break up before the minister returned in a general tumult. The young farmer stalked to the front door and said threateningly to Hemstead, Open that door. No, don't you do it, whispered Lottie. He threw the door open wide. Oh, for shame, she said aloud. I did not think that of you, Mr. Hemstead. Without heeding her, he confronted the young farmer and asked, Do you believe in fair play? Yes, and fair words, too. All right, sir. I listened quietly and politely to you. Will you now listen to me? I have not spoken yet. Oh, certainly, said the young farmer, squaring himself and folding his arms on his ample chest. Let every dog have his day. Hemstead then raised his powerful voice so that it could be heard all through the house, and yet he spoke quietly and calmly. The gentleman who last addressed you now in the spirit of fair play offers to listen to me. I ask all present, with the same spirit of candor and politeness, to hear me for a few moments. But the door is open wide, and if there are any who don't believe in fair play and a fair hearing all around, they are at liberty to depart at once. No one moved, and the young farmer said, with the sternness of his square face greatly relaxing, We will all listen when spoken to in that style, but we don't want to be driven like cattle. Then, yielding farther to the influence of Hemstead's courtesy, he stepped forward and shut the door himself. Thank you, sir, said Hemstead heartily, and then continued, I am a stranger among you, and am here to-night very unexpectedly. My home is in the West, and like yourselves I belong to that class who, when they give, give not from their abundance but out of their poverty. There has been a mistake here to-night. I think I understand you better than my friend Mr. Harcourt. From the pleasantness of the evening, more are present than you looked for. There are many young people here who I suspect have come from a distance unexpectedly for the sake of a ride and frolic and were not as well prepared as if their households had known of it before. Long drives and the cold night have caused keen appetites. When the result became known a few moments ago, I saw that many felt that it was too bad, and that something ought to be done. And no one was more decided in the expression of this feeling than the gentleman who last spoke. All that was needed then, and all that is needed now, is to consider the matter a moment, and then act unitedly. I ask you, as Christian men and women, as humane, kind-hearted people, to dismiss from your minds all considerations save one. 
your pastor's need. I understand that he has six little children. A long, cold winter is before him and his. He is dependent upon you for the comforts of life. In return, he is serving the deepest and most sacred needs of your nature, and in his poverty is leading you to a faith that will enrich you forever. It is not charity that is asked. A church is a family, and you are only providing for your own. How could any of you be comfortable this winter if you knew your minister was pinched and lacking? The Bible says that the laborer is worthy of his hire. You have only to follow the impulse of your consciences, your own better natures, and I have no fears. A few moments ago your pastor had a painful surprise. You can have a very agreeable one awaiting him by the time he returns. You can make his heart glad for months to come, and so make your own glad. Though I am a stranger, as I said, and a poor man, yet I am willing to give double what I proposed at first, and if someone will take up a collection, will hand in ten dollars. Give me your hand on that, said the young farmer heartily, and there's ten dollars more to keep it company. When a man talks like that, I am with him shoulder to shoulder. Will someone bring me the dominie's hat? One was soon forthcoming. And now, said the young man, stepping up to Lottie, you seem to take a side of interest in this matter, miss. I think you can look five dollars out of most of the young chaps here. I'll go along with you and see that each one comes down as he or she ought. If anybody ain't got what they'd like to give, I'll lend it to em and collect it, too, he added, raising his strong, hearty voice. Thus, through Hemstead's words and action, the aspect of the skies changed, and where a desolating storm had threatened, there came a refreshing shower. What he had said commended itself to so many that the mean and crotchety found it politic to fall in with the prevailing spirit. Amid approving nods, whispered consultations, and the hauling out of all sort of queer receptacles for money, the graceful city bell and the blunt, broad-shouldered farmer started on an expedition that— to the six little glims would be more important than one for the discovery of the North Pole. "'No coppers now!' shouted the young man. Lottie, fairly bubbling over with fun and enjoyment, was all graciousness, and with smiles long remembered by some of the rustic youth, certainly did beguile them into generosity at which they wondered ever after. The result was marvelous, and the crown of the old hat was becoming a crown of joy indeed to the impoverished owner who now had the promise of some royal good times. That fast-filling hat meant nourishing beef occasionally, a few books for the minister's famishing mind, a new dress or two for the wife, and a warm suit for the children all round. No one was permitted to escape, and in justice it could now be said that few wished to, for all began to enjoy the luxury of doing a good and generous deed. When they had been to nearly all, Lottie said to her now beaming companion, Go and get Mrs. Glim and seat her in the large rocking chair in the parlor. The poor little woman, having witnessed all the earlier scenes from the stairs with strong and varying feelings, had during the last few moments seen Lottie pass with such a profusion of greenbacks in her husband's hat that in a bewildering sense of joy and gratitude she had fled to the little nursery sanctuary and when found by some of the ladies was crying over the baby in the odd contradictoriness of feminine action she was hardly given time to wipe her eyes before she was escorted on the arm of the now gallant farmer to the chair of state in the parlor 
then lottie advanced to make a little speech but could think of nothing but the old school-day formula and so the stately introduction ended abruptly but most effectively as follows as a token of our esteem and kindly feeling and as an expression of of i we hereby present you with with the reward of merit and she emptied the hat in the lady's lap instead of graceful acknowledgment and a neatly worded speech in reply mrs Dlim burst into tears and springing up threw her arms around lottie's neck and kissed her while the greenbacks were scattered round their feet like an emerald shower indeed the grateful little woman in her impulse had stepped forward and upon the money the city belle to her great surprise and vexation found that some spring of her own nature had been touched and that her eyes also were overflowing as she looked around deprecatingly and half ashamed she saw that there was a prospect of a general shower and that many of the women were sniffing audibly and the brusque young farmer stood near looking as if he could more easily hold a span of runaway horses than he could hold in himself at this moment hemstead stepped forward and said my friends we can learn a lesson from this scene for it is true to our best nature and very suggestive your pastor's wife standing there upon your gift that she may kiss the giver for in this instance miss marsden but represents you and your feeling and action is a beautiful proof that we value more and are more blessed by the spirit of kindness which prompts the gift than by the gift itself see she puts her foot on the gift but takes the giver to her heart the needs of the heart the soul are ever greater than those of the body therefore she acknowledges your kindness first because with that you have supplied her chief need she does not undervalue your gift but values your kindness more hereafter as you supply the temporal need of your pastor as i believe you ever will let all be provided with the same honest kindness and sympathy let us also all learn from this lady's action to think of the divine giver of all good before his best earthly gifts mrs Dlim had recovered herself sufficiently by this time to turn to the people around her and say with a gentle dignity that would scarcely have been expected from her the gentleman has truly interpreted you to my very heart i do value the kindness more even than the money which we needed so sorely our christian work among you will be more full of hope and faith because of this scene and therefore more successful then as from a sudden impulse she turned and spoke to hemstead with quaint earnestness you are a stranger sir but i perceive from your noble courtesy and bearing your power to appreciate and bring out the best there is in us that you belong to the royal family of the great king your master will reward you poor hemstead who thus far had forgotten himself in his thought for others was now suddenly and painfully made conscious of his own existence and at once became the most helpless and awkward of mortals as he found all eyes turned toward him he was trying to escape from the room without stepping on two or three people to lottie's infinite amusement though the tears stood in her eyes as she laughed when mrs gubbling ignorant of all that happened appeared from the kitchen and created a diversion in his favor the good woman looked as if pickles had been the only part of the donation supper in which she had indulged and in a tone of ancient vinegar said them as hasn't eaten had better come and take what they can get now a roar of laughter greeted this rather forbidding invitation but before any one could reply mr dim red and breathless from his exertions also entered 
and with a faint smile and with the best courtesy he could master under the trying circumstances added i am sorry any of our friends should have been kept waiting for supper if they will now be so kind as to step down we will do the best we can for them the good man was as puzzled by a louder explosion of mirth as mrs gubbling had been the stout farmer whispered something to lottie and then with an extravagant flourish offered his arm to mrs gubbling go along with you she said giving him a push but he took her along with him while lottie brought the parson to where his wife stood surrounded by greenbacks like fallen leaves which in the hurry of events had not been picked up the good man stared at his wife with her tearful eyes and mrs gubbling stared at the money and the people laughed and clapped their hands as only hearty country people can lottie caught the contagion and laughed with them till she was ashamed of herself while the rest of her party except hemstead laughed at them and the whole absurd thing as they styled it though harcourt had a few better thoughts of his own mrs bram's lank figure and curious face now appeared from the kitchen in the desire to solve the mystery of the strange sounds she heard and the unheard-of delay in coming to supper lottie's coadjutor at once pounded upon her and escorted or rather dragged her to where she could see the money she stared a moment and then being near-sighted got down on her knees that she might look more closely she is gone to pray to it cried the farmer and the simple people aware of mrs ram's devotion to this ancient god laughed as if sidney smith had launched his wittiest sally mrs gubbling continued the young man if you are not chairman of the committee you ought to be for you are the best man of the lot i'd have you know i'm no man at all it's no compliment to tell a woman she's a man interrupted mrs gubbling sharply well you've been a ministering angel to us all this evening you can't deny that and now i move that you and the dominie be appointed a committee to count this money and report it was carried by acclamation now while the iron is hot i'm going to strike again i move that we raise the dominie's salary to a thousand a year we all know who know anything that he can't support his family decently on six hundred in the enthusiasm of the hour this was carried also by those who at the same time were wondering at themselves and how it came about strong popular movements are generally surprises but the springs of united and generous action are ever within reach if one by skill or accident can touch them even perverted human nature is capable of sweet and noble harmonies if rightly played upon End of chapter ten